Um, God, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that you caused it to be written and that you've given it to us as, as this gift, as this treasure um, that we can dig into and find riches throughout entire life. And so, God, this morning I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, let's go. John chapter 4. We are moving right along. Twelve weeks in, we're on chapter 4. We are going to finish this by 2010. I guarantee it. People are like, 2000 who? Where is John? It's in the New Testament, right? Right, okay, I'm sorry. All right, John chapter 4, I'm going to read. I'm going to start right at the beginning. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who's baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Okay, so here's the thing. The Pharisees, hang on, I have to put my little zucchini in here. This is the proper theological term. Thank you for waiting. Okay, so the Pharisees, they have been investigating John, okay? Um, there's this guy, he's, he's a real... He, he... him and there's this whole movement that's starting now whenever there would be a movement in the religious context this would get the this would get the attention of the pharisees and the sadducees because they controlled the religious culture and so anything that would take people away from them well it kind of interests them because they would make a lot of money off of the religion and the culture and so they began to investigate John. There's this one story where, where the Pharisees and Sadducees come to see John, and he, and he just like hands them this verbal spanking. He's like, you brood of vipers, who warned you of the coming wrath of God? And he, and he gets all spiritual on them. And so we don't know if they're like, if these are, are, if these are Pharisees and Sadducees that actually want to take part in the, in the baptism of repentance, or they're just coming to check them out. Regardless, when you spank the religious leaders, word gets around and people's hair gets on the back of the neck, it kind of goes up, and they start watching you. Now there's this other dude that comes on the scene. He was hanging with John for a while. He gets baptized with John. This guy's name's Jesus. Now he's off with his disciples, and he's baptizing too. Now there's two people that are baptizing. Now they're getting the attention of the Pharisees also. And so this guy, but this guy, man, he changes like water into wine. He was just in the temple a while ago. He's tipping tables. He's beating people with a whip. This guy we better pay attention to. And so the Pharisees have taken notice of Jesus. And they've taken notice that now he is gaining even more disciples. Even more people are coming to him than to John. And so this movement begins to take place. And Jesus notices that the Pharisees have noticed him. Now in verse 2... It says, although in fact Jesus was not baptizing, but it was his disciples. It's a very interesting verse because in chapter 3 and verse 22, it said that Jesus went out with the boys. He went out to the countryside and he was baptizing. We don't really know why that verse is put in chapter 4 and not in chapter 3. But the only thing I can, I can kind of gather from what I've studied is possibly, see, John was, John was baptizing. His ministry was baptism. And he became known as John the, with no denominational affiliation okay let's just say he was just that was his job he was the baptizer and so the writer almost wants to make sure that we understand though jesus and his boys are baptizing his ministry is not baptism 
Jesus' ministry is the word of God. Jesus' ministry is reconciliation with God. Jesus' ministry is God incarnate. And so for whatever reason, the writer wants us to make sure that this is not Jesus the baptizer along with John the baptizer. This is Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So for whatever reason it's in there, we don't know. But Jesus sees that the Pharisees have, have, he has drawn the attention of the Pharisees. And so he decides that he is going to leave. He's going to just kind of move on. And the word, the word to, um, um, that, that he left in, in the Greek to, to move on, it has this, this meaning of that he abandoned what he was doing. He was just like, you know what? Time to go. And he leaves. Now, I can't help but to think that there's a lesson for us, like, in there. Okay, so, so, so imagine this. Say you're in this dialogue, right? And, and you're, like, talking with somebody. It could be, like, at home or wherever, at work, and you're in this dialogue, and, and in this dialogue, you're right. I mean, you, you are correct, okay, in this dialogue. And the other person is, is incorrect, okay? Now, I know that's a far stretch for married guys that you might actually be right in something, but just imagine for a second that, that you were actually right in, in one thing, okay? And, and, so, and so you begin to enter into some dialogue, enter some conversation, because Christians, we know, never argue. We just enter into conversation. And if we argue, it's not really arguing. It's more like we debate because we, we have the spirit of the Lord upon us. And we would never argue with people. So, so we enter into this and you need to make sure that this person knows you are right. And so you go, you go head to head and you're bumping heads. You're like, no. And, and so this whole thing just kind of, it, it just doesn't go the way you expect it. Because like, if you're correct and you want to tell somebody that they're wrong, you expect that person to have that aha moment and go, Thank you. Thank you for telling me that I, I, I recognize my wrongness. I get it now. But sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Like, never. But, but anyway, so, so sometimes, and, and so maybe, maybe we need to take Jesus' example and diffuse the situation and just walk away. Maybe, maybe we don't have to argue every time. Maybe we don't have to debate. Every time. Maybe it's just better to diffuse and watch. See, Jesus, he's God. He's right. You, you can't argue with Jesus. Everything he did was correct. Okay? And so, and so he could have bumped heads with the Pharisees and been right and won. But he chose to walk away. He chose to bump heads possibly at a different time. You see, no one likes to lose an argument. No one likes to lose a debate. And if you've won an argument, that means somebody has lost an argument. Nobody likes to lose. And so what's, what's more important? Is it more important just to win all the time? Or is it more important that we would live our faith for the kingdom of God? See, Jesus, Jesus didn't, he didn't give in. He didn't give up. He just chose to battle on a different day. There are times that you will have to stand up for your faith. There are times where you will have to stand up for your position, whether it be in your home, whether it be in your job, or whether it be in your faith, in your church. There are times that that is going to take place and you have to put your head down and you have to bump it onto somebody. But I would say it's not every time. Do you always have to be right? Jesus decided, you know what? I I, I know these guys are getting aggravated. Let's just move on. And Jesus abandoned what he was doing, and he left. He never gave in. He never gave up. 
He just chose to pick his battle. Now, Jesus had learned the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he, had, now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Southington, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. <laughs> Not in your version? Sorry. You have the wrong version. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Okay, verse 4 says that he had to go through Samaria. He didn't. Jesus did not have to go through Samaria. In fact, there are two ways to get to where he wanted to go. There was the Samaritan way, and that was the shortest way. That was the most direct route. And there was also a way that you would cross the Jordan River, and you would travel that way. And that was a little farther. It was the more scenic route, a little bit more dangerous because, you know, the Roman people didn't really handle that section of the town or of the travel as good as they handled the Samaritan section. But there were actually two ways that Jesus could have gone. He did not have to go through Samaria. It was almost like he had, he was on like this divine, mission or something but he chose to go through samaria now no good orthodox jew would ever travel through samaria especially a rabbi you just would not do that see the jewish people and the samaritan people were at odds with each other the jewish people thought the samaritans were half-breeds and if you look in the old testament you can see that there was all this um uh, capturing and inbreeding and all these things going on because the the babylonians they wanted to to kind of um Milk down, whatever the, the nation, whatever. The, I mean, it's this long, drawn-out thing. But the Jews consider the Samaritans to be half-breeds or Gentiles, and they considered them to be in a constant state of uncleansliness, like, like ritually unclean, no matter what. In fact, if, if a Samaritan would sit in this chair and a Jewish person saw them sit in that chair, the Jewish person would not sit in that chair because the chair would be unclean. They would transfer that. And so the Jewish people really were at odds with the, with the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans worshipped Yahweh. The Samaritans were monotheistic. They had one God, and that God was the God of the Hebrew Bible. And they worshipped him. Now, they had some differences in how they did it and what they did. Uh, one of the main differences is that they, um, they only saw the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, as sacred scripture. So they didn't count the Psalms and, and the wisdom writings and all the prophet writings. They didn't count them as sacred. So they only paid attention to the first five books, which aggravated the Jewish people. And, but they worshipped the same God as the Hebrews did. Now, in fairness... The Samaritans did not like the Jewish people either. You find in the story in Ezra chapter 4 where the, Samar- where the Jewish nation is coming out of exile, right? And, and they're, they're coming back from Babylon and the Samaritans come and say, listen, we seek and serve the same God that you do. Let us help you rebuild your temple. And the Jewish people say, nope, you have no part in us. And we are not going to let you help us rebuild the temple. We will handle it. And so the Jews cast away the Samaritans. They build their temple in Jerusalem. The Samaritans refuse to worship in Jerusalem. The Jews say you can only worship in Jerusalem. Samaritans build their own temple. The Jews burn it down in 128 BC. And so there's a little tension between these people. And no good good Jewish rabbi would ever consider walking through Samaria except for Jesus. And Jesus begins his journey and walks through. he had to go through Samaria. 
And he sat by the well and he rested. I love this about the Bible. It pulls no pun. If this was like a fake book, you think that Jesus would be like always the macho dude. But it says Jesus is tired. And he's been traveling, and probably since like six in the morning, and now it's noon, it's hot, and man, he needs to rest. And he sits down at the well, instead of going into town with the boys to get food, and he sits and he's resting, and he's thirsty, and he's hungry. Now, Jesus, the Son of God, God, experiences all of the limitations of our humanness and still is fully God. Jesus knows what it's like to be us. Jesus knows what it's like to be human. Jesus knows what it's like to have sore feet and a sore back. Jesus knows what it's like to have his hands hurt from working. He knows what hunger is like. He knows what thirst is like. He gets us because he has experienced the very things that we experience. And he decides that he, sits, he needs to sit down and he needs to take a rest. Jesus is finding his rhythm in the everyday grind of his life. He needs to rest and he sits down. And he rests, he peels his sandals off, he lets the old dogs breathe, and he hangs out. (laughs) You know, I I bet you I can look out here into our group, and I bet you there are people here that need to take Jesus' example. I bet you there are people here that need to sit down, find rhythm in their life, exhale, and rest. You see, and, and I don't mean sit down at the end of the day when you can't even do anything else and it's 10 o'clock at night and you plop into the seat and you are completely exhausted and all you can do is go back to bed. That's not what I'm talking about. Jesus, in the middle of the day, imagine that, in the middle of the day, at noon, he finds his own rhythm. He sits and he rests. And look at the opportunity that will come his way because he has decided to rest. He's about to change someone's life. He's about to change an entire town, their lives. I wonder if we miss, I wonder how many opportunities we miss to expand the kingdom of God because we were always so busy, because we always think that we have to be on the go, because we never just sit down and rest. I wonder if we can begin to take the example of Jesus, put it to our own life. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. Okay, here comes this woman, okay? Jesus is hanging out. He's by himself. He's at the well. Here comes a Samaritan woman. She's coming to get water. It's noon. This is not the time of day that people come to draw water from the well. It's way too hot. They usually come in the morning or they come later on in the afternoon when the sun has gone down. This woman is probably looked down upon by her community because she is there sometime in, in, the, in the heat of the day all by herself. Now, here's Jesus, a Jewish man with 
a Samaritan woman. This is breaking all of the rules. Not only does a Jewish man not talk to a single woman in public, a Jew, they would never talk to a Samaritan woman. And this is the situation that Jesus finds himself in. And the fact that he asks her for a drink, the fact that he speaks first in this culture could actually be taken as Jesus is flirting with this woman. Jesus is getting his flirt on here. And he's not, but I mean, it could have been taken that by her that he was flirting with her. And so a Jewish man, a rabbi, speaking to a woman in public, a Samaritan, And they're going to talk about like deep spiritual stuff. These things did not happen. Okay, let's mix this little piece in too. In the Jewish faith, um, Isaac and Jacob, they found their wives at a well. Okay? And so in the Jewish tradition, (laughs) some scholars write this. I'm just going to give you what I've studied. If a man wanted to pick up a woman, he'd go to a well. And so you can see that the Bible is relevant today as it was thousands of years ago that the local watering hole was the best place to meet chicks. Okay. And, and so, and so here it is, here it is. Jesus has met this woman at the well, at the local watering well, uh, hole. And she is shocked that he would even talk to her. She, I mean, she knows what the Jews think of the Samaritans. She knows she is unclean. She knows that Jesus would be ritually unclean. Even if he, he touches a cup that she has held, she's like, you talking to me? Oh, what it, wait, you want me to give you a drink? And the answer that Jesus will give her will change her life forever. The answer that Jesus will give her will have a ripple effect through her entire town forever. Because you see, when Jesus comes to town, man, things change. Let's go to the text, verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If if she only knew what was happening, if she only knew the gift of God that was standing before her. And and this this word gift has this meaning of, of, of just completely free. No strings attached, coming from um, just a, a endless bounty of offering and, and, and gifting. There is no strings attached. This gift, she doesn't have to work for it. She doesn't have to pay for it. There's no blood, sweat, and tears that goes into it. This gift of God is before her. And if she only knew, she is speaking to the actual gift himself that God gave Jesus as the gift to the world. She is speaking to him. And if she only knew the richness of God that stood before her, she would have asked him. And you see, Jesus is speaking about the new life that he brings, this this full life. He says, woman, if you only knew, if you only knew the gift of God, if you only knew who was speaking to you, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. Now, Something very interesting here that that I have to just touch on. It's not really stated in the text, but it's just an observation I made. Um, Jesus asked her for a drink, right? And she's like, what? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You want a drink for me? And so there's like this banter. She's like, what's going on here? And Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and you knew who was asking, you would have asked me and I would have given it to you. 
You see, all this woman had to do was come to a place of recognizing her need, whether it be for salvation, whether it be for God, whether it be for a drink, recognizing the need and asking Jesus. And then there's no questions asked. Jesus would have given it to her in abundance, in fullness, with with no strings attached. Here it is. All you have to do is ask. And that's how simple it is for us to come before God and just ask, God, please, with no strings attached. And God will give. And Jesus says, I would give you living water. In this culture, there's two kinds of water. There would be something called cistern water. And this is water that would be um, caught from the rain. It would come off the roofs. It would come down, you know, on the streets. And they would catch it into big holes in the ground sometimes, sometimes into jugs. Um, They would use it for, like, washing stuff. They would use it maybe to water some crops, depending on how nasty it was. Um, But it was considered dead water. It was considered because it was stagnant. It really didn't have life to it. And then in this culture, there was something called living water. And living water was streams and wells and fountains and springs. And this water actually gave life. This water was used for drinking. This water was used for cooking. It was used for... for, of uh, feeding the animal, giving animals water. This water brought life. It was used for mikvah. Anybody remember what that is? Man, you haven't studied your Hebrew? What up with it? All right, mikvah is the ceremonial washing that the Jews always did because they always had to get clean before God. And so this water would be used for that. Jesus is using this, this metaphor saying, that, listen, I, if you would just ask, I would have given you life. Full life. This is not just getting cleaned up before God. This is, this is vitality and purpose. This is that thing that puts your feet on the floor in the morning and gets you out of bed. Jesus says, I would have given you life if you just asked. Now, let's take this a little deeper. Chapter 7, Jesus will talk, or, um, the writer will talk about living water, and it's in reference to the Holy Spirit, that those who believe would be given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will well up inside of them and pour out. And we won't get to that till chapter 7, so I'm just going to leave that alone. But, there's this, but, but in some ancient Jewish writings, water is referred to um, teaching or doctrine. Jesus could be telling this woman, as John writes, and John doesn't write just on the surface, but John goes way below. There's so much meaning into his writing that Jesus could be telling her, I would give you a teaching. I would give you a teaching that brings life. I would give you a living teaching. The very word of God is living. And this is what Jesus is offering this woman. And this goes countercultural to what this woman would be used to. This goes countercultural to even the religious culture of Jesus' day. Because you see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had this religion set up. And it was all based on rules. And you had to follow the rules. And if you broke one of the rules, you had to go back and start over again. You had to continually clean yourself. And nobody could keep all of the rules. It was literally impossible. Possible to keep all the rules. And so you would keep trying and trying and you would fail. And you would take two steps forward and one step back and one step forward and three steps back. You can never, never get it right in the Pharisee and the Sadducee religious construct that they made. And it was this, this spirituality of, of oppression. Jesus would say to them, you travel miles to gain one convert and you make them twice the sons of hell that you are. Jesus would say to them, man, you just, you just, You just lump all this stuff on the people. You don't even help them with it. But Jesus tells them, tells this woman, 
of a teaching that's going to bring life, of a teaching that's going to bring freedom. I have a teaching that is going to bring harmony with God. I have a teaching that's going to allow you to enter into a relationship and your guilt will be no more because therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. This is the teaching that Jesus has that brings life. And this woman, I mean, here, the son of God is in front of her and and listen to her response. Verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who, who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? The woman is completely missing it. The woman has missed the point of what Jesus was talking about. She is missing the very word of God. But you know, Her story is our story. And our story is her story. Because the truth is, sometimes I miss it. Sometimes I don't get it. Sometimes I don't want to get it. I'm happy in my own little pile of yuck. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, when when babies get to be like toddlers, right? And that diaper starts to sag. And you're like, come here, I have to change your diaper. They're like, no. And they run around. It's like, what? That can't be comfortable, but, but aren't we like that sometimes spiritually? We just, you know, forget, I'm going to, no, I don't want it. I'm going to sit here in my own little pile of yuck, for lack of a better word. Her story is our story. Our story is her story. Because see, sometimes we just get caught up in the right now. Sometimes we just get caught up with the obvious, what's right before us, and we just can't see anything else. And we miss what God is speaking to us. And we miss what God is trying to do in us. And we miss what God is trying to show us. And, and our everyday life just becomes everyday life. It becomes mundane. And we get up Monday morning and we go to work. And before we know it, it's Friday night. And we've missed an entire week and we've learned nothing, and we've engaged nothing, and we haven't deepened our walk with Christ at all. I have a, the, one of the young guys that I'm going to Europe with, um, Dave, he, he uh, just graduated high school, and um, so he's working full-time now. And he said to me, he goes, you know, it, it's really strange. I, I find myself working all week so I can get to the weekend. You know, and, and, you know, now he has to work for a living. And, but he's going to school in the fall. He says, and I'm, and, and I'm wishing the entire week away to get to the weekend. And before I know it, we're going to be in Europe. And then before I know it, I'm going to be at school. I'm wishing away my entire summer. And don't we live our lives that way sometimes? Where we wake up and we're 20. And then we wake up one morning and we're 40. And we miss it. And we miss what God wants to do. And we miss what God wants to do to talk to us and to say to us. Listen, I believe that God is the God of every minute of every day. And I believe that, that God is present in every minute of every day. Without a doubt. And so if God is present in every minute of every day, and my God, I don't about your God, but my God, he ain't no ordinary God. He is not a complacent God. He is not a boring God. And so, and so if he is present in every minute of every day, of every second, and we allow ourselves to start to become aware of that, and we allow ourselves to start to engage that, then 
every second of every day or every day has the potential for us to hear and to see and to engage God. And so, if that's the case, if that's our potential, then every day, every day that we might look at as just another ordinary day can become something extraordinary. Because when God shows up, when Jesus shows up, things change. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. All right, this is what Jesus is saying. He says, woman, paraphrasing, woman, yeah, you're going to drink from this well and your immediate need is going to be taken care of. You are no longer going to be thirsty. It is going to quench your thirst. This is good water. This is, and, and actually, this well actually still exists, and it's really deep. It's got good water in it. And this good water is really going to quench your, and you're going to feel so much better. And I'm going to eventually feel better once you give me a sip, so let's hurry it up. And so, and, 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 but you are going to thirst again. Eventually, this whole system is, you're going to come back to the well, and you're going to come back to the well, and you're going to come back to the well. Because people who drink this water, will be, their thirst will be quenched, but you will thirst again. And let's take this into faith world. It's like you trying to get yourself cleaned up before God. Like you, me, trying to get right with God. Without Christ. Never going to happen. In the Jewish tradition, they would constantly ceremonially, ceremonial, cer- ritually cleanse themselves. Let's say that word. They would be because they would always be trying to get right with God. Jesus says, "Man, if you try to meet your own needs spiritually, you're just going to be frustrated. It's never going to happen." And Jesus says, "Though I." will give you living water. If you drink this water, if you drink of this life, the life that Jesus gives, the cleansing that Jesus gives, the passion and vitality, that putting your feet on the floor thing that Jesus gives is done once and for all. It's a permanent thing that he wants to give us. Done. Here it is. And you will never thirst again. You will never not have that life in you again. This is the gift of God through Jesus. And he wants to give it to us. And, and, this, and this idea that, that once we receive this thing, this, this life wells up in us. And that's a really poor translation, by the way. You know, it wells up. Um, in the Greek, it has a meaning of, of like, it, it, it would leap out. It would be just like spring forward, like, I don't know what, but, but in Acts, Acts chapter 3, this lame guy, he gets healed, right? And, and it says that he leapt to his feet. That's what it is, that this life would just leap out of us. Once Christ has come in and he has given us this life and we have taken hold of this thing, it's just supposed to, just like old faithful, just explode from our very being. But, you know, um, sometimes, for me, it just doesn't happen that way. Sometimes for me, I just don't feel so lively. Sometimes for me, it feels like the life gets sucked out of me. 
instead of having the life in me. Listen, man, I'm a Jesus follower. Swear to goodness. I know that he has given me this gift of life. Not just eternal life, but like, whoa, life, you know? I know I have it. Sometimes, man, I just, it doesn't feel that way. Because sometimes I focus on exactly what's in front of me. Sometimes I just focus on, you know, like the, eh, the junk of the day. I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I got to make sure this is done. And this is all that I see, and this is all that I focus on. And my life becomes just a constant going to the well and getting some water and going to the well and getting some water, and it just becomes the same thing over and over again. This is not the life that Jesus would have for us. My challenge to you is that we would begin to look at life and look at the movement of God in the everyday, in the mundane things, in the just the simple things. And if we begin to get the focus off of us, begin to realize what God is doing among us, in our families, in our communities, in our jobs, in ourselves, it's then when we start to focus on the God stuff that I believe this life just bursts forward and it just throws up all over everybody else. Have you ever been around somebody like that? That just, it's just like, you just want to like touch them because it's just like, whoa, they're just like so godly. I don't know what it is, but man, there's some people out there that just, they got this. But I would bet that they go through some of the same things that we do. Just that, but we press on towards the prize. Not that we have it all figured out. Not that we've reached there, but we continually press on and focus and refocus on God. And see, when that happens, the life that Jesus gave us, it really is a life of action. It really is. I mean, our life should be a life of verbs. Love and justice and service and goodness and rest. These all should be verbs that we live out in our life. Not just adjectives or nouns and something we read about in the Bible. But we have to begin to focus on different things. I mean, I know that, that, that some in here even probably are, are going through some really difficult times. And, and I know your prayer because I've been there, man. And, and, and I pray, God, help me with this. Take this away from me. Can you, can you just fix this? God, you ever use this one? Give me a break. Are you listening? Are you, hello? Remember me? I mean, do you ever feel that way? I mean, and, and, and you just call out to God. And, and those are legitimate prayers. Those are prayers of the heart. That's about pressing into God and knowing that you can't get this done on your own. I want to challenge you to add one more prayer to that. In those times where life just kicks you in the shin. That you would say, God, what are you trying to teach me in this? God, what, what do you want me to learn through this? Don't waste this experience. I mean, wouldn't it be just a raw deal if, if life hit you hard and that was it and there was nothing to take from that? But you see, if our focus is on Christ, if our focus is on the cross, and just try to get it off of ourselves. I believe God wants to teach us something in everything. And our life doesn't become just a series of trips to the well to get water. But once and for all, we can have living water. See, living our faith 
living it out loud should be the foundation of any and all theology. The life that Jesus gives us should create more life. And so as we take communion this morning, um, I would, the, the, the meditation for you, I would like you to begin to think on what is it in your life that has drawn you away from understanding and seeing God? What is it that has kept you busy, that has kept you down, that, just, that you, just, you just haven't even really connected in, in a meaningful way with God lately? What's that thing in your life that you just need to go, enough, I'm not going there anymore. And you lift your head up. Listen, you are children of the king, okay? You are royalty, you are priests, There's no reason for your head to be to the ground unless you're before the king. But as you walk through this world, Christ has paid your debt. You've been set free. You have been reconciled with God. You have harmony with God. What is it that's keeping you from walking in that? What is it that keeps you just going back to the well every day? Same old, same old. And so as you make your way um, to the table, Begin that dialogue with God. Uh, We'll take communion together and then we'll end uh, this morning with a song.